Well, once again, excited to see everybody with us today as we start a brand new series called Red Letter Questions. We're going to be taking the next several weeks leading into Easter to look at questions that Jesus himself asked in Scripture. These are questions that you'll find written in red in your Bible because they're words that Jesus literally spoke out of his own mouth. Um, today I want to jump right in. If you have your Bibles or it's in your bulletin too, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 and find our question for today. But in Matthew 7 it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Today, our red letter question is, how can you not see the speck in your own eye, but you're so worried about the, the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you're so worried about the plank in your own, when you don't see the plank in your own? Today, we're going to look at this and just kind of jump through a couple things of what I've been challenged on as I've read this scripture preparing, um, but I wanted to start with something a little, bit, a little bit fun today, if it's okay, but have you ever noticed how, how much easier it is to find when somebody else is doing something wrong? It's very easy to notice when somebody else is doing something incorrectly at work. It's very easy to, uh, to, to notice when somebody else's kids are acting crazy. It's very easy to notice when somebody wasn't fair to you. It's very easy to notice the things that somebody else is doing wrong, but sometimes it's hard to notice what we are doing wrong. Uh, why, why could it be so easy? Could it be because it's so easy to be critical of someone else, but we never have the, the moment where we allow Jesus to come into our life and let us examine ourselves? I, I want to share a funny story with you this morning that I found online this week. It says a young couple moves into a new neighborhood. The next morning while they were eating breakfast, the young woman sees her neighbor hanging in the wash outside. The laundry is not very clean, she said. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Her husband looked on but remained silent. Every time her neighbor would hang her wash to dry, the young woman would make the same comments. About one month later, the woman was surprised to see nice, clean wash on the line and said to her husband, look, she has finally learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her this. The husband said, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. And so it is with life. When we are watching what others are doing depends on the purity of our own windows of what we actually see. It is so easy sometimes to see what other people are doing incorrectly and not examine what we might be doing incorrectly. It's so easy to see other people's faults, it's so difficult to see our own. There's a TV show that I've watched over the years, and I won't say the name so you can't judge me, um, but it's one of my favorite ever TV sitcom comedies. And uh, this person was going to their corporate office for, for, they wanted to know what he was doing right, because all of a sudden, as crazy as he was, their particular business started doing well. So he went to the corporate office, and they said, what would you say, you as a leader, what are your biggest weaknesses? And this was his response. I have been told that I work too hard, and I care too much about my job, and I care too much about the people. And then he's like, you see what I did there? I actually turned my weaknesses into my strengths. Because it's so easy to realize where we are good, but where are we weak in our areas of life? And I today I want to take a few minutes and just challenge us, what are some things in our lives that we can challenge ourselves in and allow the Holy Spirit to take a look at in our lives? If you have your Bible, we're going to go to John chapter 8 and read a story. I'm sure many of you know this story. We've shared it at church many times, but the, the name of the story is basically the woman caught in the act of adultery. And we're going to read John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. 
It says, then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat to teach them. The teachers of the laws, the teacher of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. It's interesting that they actually thought they could trap Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until the only one that was left was Jesus with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I want to look at three main things we can pull out of this scripture and tie back to our red letter question this morning. But number one in your bulletin is we are only qualified to inspect our own lives. We are only qualified to inspect our own lives. God is not asking us to inspect our neighbor. God is not asking us to inspect the person at work that gets on our nerves. God is not asking us to inspect the people around us that are doing things that we think are inappropriate. God only asks us in scripture to inspect our own lives, to examine our own hearts, and that's all we are qualified to do. Let me ask you a question today. Who have you been inspecting lately? Who are the people in your life that have been monopolizing your time and, and all of your energy has been going into inspecting their behaviors, inspecting their actions, inspecting their motives, inspecting their language, inspecting their preferences? Who have you been spending all of your time inspecting today? And when was the last time you inspected your own life? When was the last time you allowed the Holy Spirit to come into your life and actually say, you know what, there's some things in me that need to change. I think sometimes as Christians, if we're honest, what we like to do is we have a magnifying glass for everybody else except for us. We can look at somebody and pinpoint, this is what you're doing wrong. I see it, your motives were incorrect, and this is why you're going through what you're going through. This is why your life is in shambles. This is why you've made, you, you've made the decisions you've made, and because of that, it's your bed, now you're lying in it. And we, we start to nitpick and inspect, and we magnify everything people have done wrong around us, and we never look back at ourselves, and we justify that everybody else must be doing far worse than we are, so it's okay to keep inspecting other people's lives. But you see, in Scripture, it doesn't ask us to have a magnifying glass. It asks us to have a mirror. We don't need to be worried about what everybody else is doing. We need to worry about what we are doing. We need to worry about the words that we're speaking. We need to worry about the choices that we are making. We need to worry about the lives that we are leading. We need to worry about the children that we are raising. We need to worry more about ourselves than other people. And we need to take, put down our magnifying glasses and pick up a mirror and say, Holy Spirit, will you guide me and allow me to do what you are asking me to do? Let me stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and nitpicking what everybody else is doing and say, I'm going to worry about the things in my own life and get my own life straight before I start trying to figure somebody else's life out. God calls us to look at our own life, not somebody else's. In this scripture, there's a couple things I want to point out as kind of like a sub point to number one in your bulletin. 
But number one right there, or A, underneath number one, it says there is a time to sit down and be silent. There is a time to sit down and be silent. And some of you right now, you probably don't even like the verbiage I just used because what are you talking about? You're saying we're not supposed to speak up for what we believe. There is a time to sit down and be silent. And, and, and there's no greater example of this if we read through this story when, when these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people of the day, the people who thought they had everything all together in their life, when they brought this woman to Jesus to try to trick him and they said, the law tells us that we are supposed to stone this woman, what do you say? What was Jesus' response? It wasn't, I don't care what the law says. I'm Jesus. You don't know who I, that wasn't Jesus' response. Jesus' response in this moment where people are trying to trap him, and Jesus knows everything. He knew the motives of what they were doing before they ever did it. He already knew what they were going to come at him with. And what did Jesus do? It says he bent down and he started writing in the sand. When was the last time that somebody came at you and you were able to just not say anything? When was the last time that someone came against us and we were able to just be silent for a moment? And, and, and you know, I don't think it was just a moment because if you look at scripture, it says, uh, but Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And then the next verse in verse seven, it says, when they kept on questioning him. This paints a picture that Jesus probably kneeled down there for a while. I don't know what he was drawing I always envision he's drawing football plays. I don't know why. I don't know what he was drawing in the sand. But he took a moment to sit down and be silent. If the Savior of the world takes a moment to sit down and be silent, what, what an example that would be if we could follow. What would happen in our lives if we could take a moment and compose ourselves before we started composing our response? What would happen if we could say, you know what, before I obliterate somebody on social media, I'm going to sit down and be silent for a moment. Before I'm so worried about why I have to tell somebody that they are wrong and what they are doing, I'm going to sit down and be silent for just a moment and compose myself. We have the ability in this day and age with a single post on social media to reach millions and millions of people if we post the wrong thing or the right thing. Most of the stuff that you see go viral that's, that's completely inappropriate is because somebody didn't sit down and be silent for a moment. They took the, the moment of anger and the moment of resentment and they decided to lash out at somebody or a group of people and it became viral and it became a door closer instead of a door opener into people's lives. What could happen if we could sit down and be silent for just a moment? I wonder how many conflicts we would avoid if we would simply take a moment to just compose ourselves, take a deep breath and say, God, help me respond in this situation the way you want me to respond, not the way that I want to respond. That's one thing I've learned in my life is the way that I want to respond is seldom the way that God has me respond. God knows a whole lot better on how to take care of things than I do. And there is a time to sit down and be silent. And then right there, the next point, there is also a time to stand up and speak up. This is the one that people like more. 
There is a time to stand up and speak up. So it says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. This is a pretty good response from Jesus. This is one of those zingers that you wish you could come up with, but you're not, they don't come off as good on social media as you thought they were, and you didn't get as many likes as you thought that was going to get. But Jesus, in a moment, he responded pretty well. He's like, you know what? Y'all keep coming at me and coming at me and coming at me, and y'all want to kill her. Let, whoever here is perfect, throw the first stone at her. And then, this is, I'll be honest, this is where most of us in a moment where we're really proud of a response is where we celebrate a little bit. And we're like, I got them good on that one. But again, what did Jesus do? After he gave his response, it said again, he stooped down and started writing on the ground. So yeah, there was a moment where it was the right time to stand up and speak up, but then right after that moment, Jesus again sat down and was silent. He gave his response he gave, he gave the answer in which he knew was perfect. And then after he gave that answer, he knew it needed nothing else. So he sat down and began to write and to stand again. Jesus at this moment, and if, if we could all get this in our lives, we would impact this world so much more greatly. He spoke truth in this situation out of a place of observation. He wasn't condemning anybody. Even those people who wanted to throw the stones at her, he wasn't condemning them probably convicted them pretty seriously, and you'll see that later in the story, but he didn't condemn anybody. And you see, when we come at people with the wrong motives and with the wrong intent, we are coming at them with a spirit of condemnation, and we're wondering why people aren't changing. People aren't changing because, I don't know if you know this, people don't like to be condemned. Our world around us does not like to be condemned. And God has never given one of us in this room the permission to condemn anybody. He has given us permission to seek out our own life and to speak truth when he leads us to speak it out of a spirit of love. There's a time to sit down and be silent. There's a time to stand up and speak up. Number two in your bullets in there says that Jesus accepts people, not sin. Jesus accepts people, not sin. In this passage, this woman is a known sinner. She was caught in the very act of adultery. What she was doing was sin. You, you, have, to, you have to ask yourself in, the, in this story as you read into it sometimes, wonder what got her to this point. I wonder what in her life got her to the point where she went to commit adultery. She probably was searching for something that she hadn't found yet. She was probably looking for satisfaction in the wrong areas. She was probably looking for, for, for things that she could not find. And she was probably searching and searching and searching. And she thought, well, maybe this will be the thing that satisfies what I've been looking for. Maybe this will fill the void that seems to be in my life. She was probably searching for something that she wasn't finding. But she was a known sinner. And in the scripture, I find it interesting that Jesus defended the sinner. If you look in the scripture, in this particular passage, Jesus spent more time defending that sinner than defending the religious people who thought they had it all together. The religious people who brought her before him. The religious people who said, this is what the law says, we must stone her. As I was reading this, I was reminded of the scripture that what the law was incapable of doing, grace does. 
What the law was incapable of doing, grace provides the way. Jesus knew that what the law was going to do to this woman was kill her. So what did he do? He showed up with his grace and was able to use his grace as a way to the judgment that was due her, the judgment that was due each and every one of us in this room. He took that upon himself because of this miraculous gift that he gave us on the cross. And when he rose from the dead, and he, what the law could not do, grace was able to do. Jesus defended this woman while she was still a sinner. And I think sometimes as, as we hear messages like this, to be honest, there's people in the room that are probably irritated. Oh, he's trying to be, he's trying to be sensitive. He's trying to, get, he's trying to get everybody to like what he's saying. No, I'm not trying to say anything different than what the scripture says. That's who Jesus was. This is who Jesus is. If you've got a problem with Jesus defending the sinner, you're in trouble. If you've got a problem with Jesus defending someone who does not deserve it, you are in trouble. Because none of us deserve it. None of us have the right to have it. None of us did anything to, to earn it. We cannot earn it, but God gave it to us freely. Because that's how good our God is. But as good as our God is, he accepted the sinner. He accepted the person, but he does not accept the sin. He did not accept her sin because in the scripture it says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And he says, then neither do I condemn you. He could have stopped right there. And that's where many people will stop because they want it to be a feel-good message. But that's not what it was. Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. But then he declared. It says, it didn't just say Jesus said. It says Jesus declared. He looked at this woman and says, go now and leave your life of sin. You cannot stay in your life of sin once you've encountered Jesus. When you've encountered Jesus and his grace has washed over your life and he has made you a new creation, we cannot continue to keep doing the same things that we have always done. We cannot continue to hang around the same places that we have always been around. We cannot continue to, 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 to take part in things that we're not supposed to take part of because when Jesus comes in, it makes your life change from the inside out. And this is where as Christians, if I'm honest, where we have a problem with it. Because we see someone walk to an altar and we see them leave and we expect they're a different person by the time they hit the back door. We expect that somehow the 80 feet between here and the door and the prayer that, the prayer that they prayed, all of a sudden everything in their life lines up. That, that might happen for some people. It doesn't happen for everybody. You see, you see as Christians... When we're called to inspect our own lives and these moments where there's people that God brings into our church and I pray that they keep coming and I pray that he keeps sending us more and more and more broken, lost, hurting people because they're the ones that need Jesus. They're the ones that need to know the love of a Savior that died for them. I pray they keep coming, but as I inspect my own life, what I have to keep asking Jesus is how do I reach them in a way that is going to help them continue to grow their faith? Jesus is not looking for behavior modification. And as Christians, I think sometimes that's what our end goal is. I think sometimes we see people coming to our church, and they can come down and pray a prayer, 
and they start looking a lot better, they might be living the most crazy lifestyle you've ever heard once they leave these doors, but we're perfectly happy because in front of us, they're acting like the way we think a Christian should act, and they're talking the way we think a Christian should talk. That is not what Jesus is looking for. Jesus is not looking for behavior modification. He is looking for heart transformation. And it's different for everybody. Please don't one person in this room misunderstand what I'm saying today. I am not saying that living in sin is okay. But what I am saying is that the process for everybody, the sanctification process for everybody is not going to look the same for everybody. So as a church, I can just tell you with the leaders that we have, our pastors, there's going to be some people that maybe you don't, well, this is uncomfortable. Good. That means we're reaching the right people. I don't want to hang around people who believe every single thing the exact same way that I believe it. I want to hang around people that I can look and say, wow, God is letting us reach people we weren't reaching a year ago. God is letting us reach people that we weren't reaching two years ago. God is letting us have a footprint in this community that we were not having before. We will never, ever, ever, ever accept sin. We will not accept it. We will not condone it. We will not celebrate it. We will never say that it is okay if you are sinning. We're never going to say it's okay because it's not. Sin is separation from God. So we cannot ever tell somebody, keep doing what you're doing. You're perfectly fine. You're sinning. No big deal. But this is where I want to challenge all of us in the room today, is we can't accept any sin. You see, they're going to put a picture up here, and as Christians, this is how we view sin. We view little sin and big sin. Well, there's, there's little things in my life that I'm not really worried about, but man, did you see what they're doing? And all of a sudden, we're somehow thinking, well, somewhere on the bell curve, we're going to be Okay. Because our sin is so small, their sin is so significant, there's a big difference in between, so, so it's going to be okay. I, I want to show you how God sees sin. God does not see your sin different than somebody else's sin. God doesn't see your gossiping, your backbiting, your lying, your cheating. He doesn't see that any different than what we call a big sin. It's separation from God. And whether it's gossip, whether it's gluttony, whether it's uh, uh, cheating, lying, maneuvering things that aren't appropriate, like whatever it is, God sees it as sin. And sin is the very separation from God. So we've got to, as believers and Christians, get this sin scale out of our minds that somehow we're okay and they're not. Because they're sending too, it's just too much what, they, what they're going through. But yet all the time, we're over here gossiping, saying, did you hear what they did? Well, I mean, let's pray for them, but did you hear? God isn't looking down from heaven saying, wow, I'm so proud of Derek. He sins a lot smaller than the people over here who sin a lot bigger. Jesus would tell us the same thing today that he told that woman. When we encounter Jesus, go and leave your life of sin. Leave your gossip. Leave your lying. Leave your cheating. Go and leave your life 
of sin. There is no small sin. There is no big sin. And all of it is not okay. You will never hear myself, Pastor Cecil, Pastor Ben, whoever else ever preaches on this stage, we will never, ever, ever say that sin is okay. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what our laws say. If it is wrong, it is wrong, and we will never negotiate on that. It doesn't matter what one denomination might say is okay. If it is not okay in the Bible, we cannot be okay with it. But it's not just the stuff that we view as big that we won't be okay with. Jesus accepts people, but he does not accept sin. Number three in your notes as we close today. Jesus expects the best in people. Jesus expects the best in people. How else could he look at this woman who was an adulterer and tell her, they don't condemn you, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. He was expecting the best in that woman. What could happen if we started expecting the best in people and not the worst? You know, being on staff of the church now for close to four or five years, we've been at the church now for getting close to eight and a half, whatever it is. We've been here for a long time. We've built a very close relationship with Pastor Cecil and Pastor Leah over the years. They were our first ever life group leader in their home. We got to meet who they really are. And who they really are is who they are here on Sunday morning. They're not putting on a show for anybody at church. They are who they are. They love people. They will challenge people. But they are who they are. But being as close to them as I have been and walking with them now as long as I have walked through, the one thing that I've loved about them, and at times, if I'm honest, it frustrates me, is that they expect the best in people. They don't expect people to hurt them. They don't expect people to do things they're not supposed to do. They don't expect people to, 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 to just not do what they're supposed to do. They expect the best in people. And as we've walked this journey with them for so long now, I have seen people. I've seen the goods of ministry, and I've seen the bad of ministry. I've seen people who have absolutely no reason for doing anything ill will towards them come against them. I've seen people slander them. I've seen people talk behind their backs. I've seen people say things that are unfounded and are untrue. I've seen people spread rumors about them. I've seen people lie about them. I've seen people do things and say things about them that are just so untrue. And at the moment they're going through it, I'll tell them, I know the truth. Just let me say what happened. Nope. They'll look, he's looked at me in the eye on multiple occasions and he'll say, when it all comes out, my integrity versus their integrity, someone's going to see the difference of what happened in the situation. I've said nothing but honor them. I've said nothing but love them. I've said nothing but I expect the best in them. They can say all they want about me. My integrity will not change because I expect the best in people. And then even though people have hurt them and even though people have come against them, they don't transfer that on to somebody else and, oh, we got a new family. I bet they're going to do this. I bet they're going to say what that other person said. I bet they're going to spread these rumors. And all. No, they expect the best in people. And that has not changed no, how, no matter how many times they have been hurt. And I've always appreciated about them that they expect the best in people. And, and what I've learned journeying with them is it, it, it helps you to stop questioning people's motives when you expect the best in them. 
It helps you to stop questioning all the time why they're doing things and why they're saying things and, and why they're going there and why they're going here when you just learn to expect the best in them. It changes your heart when you start expecting the best in people. Jesus expects the best in us. We should expect the best in other people. As I was preparing this message, I'll be honest, I told Pastor Ben in front of our worship team last week, hey man, I'm gonna go ahead and preach a different message, write another question. He's like, we'll do prayer time at the end. Like, I'm gonna preach a completely different sermon. And he's like, okay, and I could tell like, he was wondering why. And then I get in the car and I told Lisa, I'm gonna preach a different sermon next week. I'm gonna go with this one and that one. I'm excited about it, I think it's gonna be better. And she's like, well, you've been working on this one for like a month, why would you not preach it? I was like, I just, I don't think it's the right time. And she's like, are you scared? Are you scared to tell people what they need to hear sometimes? And I told her, I said, I'm not scared. I'm, uh, to be honest, the reason I didn't want to preach this is I don't want any of myself to come out in what I'm saying today. But as I was laying in bed the last couple nights, just kind of tossing and turning, thinking about this message and, and thinking about just people that God is sending in and what is our response to the people around us every single day? How do we love them? How do we, how do we love them but also guide them? How do we love them but also allow God to restore them? How do, we, how do we love somebody and also allow them to continue to journey long enough to have the sanctification process played out in their life? How do we do all of this stuff? And I'm just laying there thinking, I'm not capable of preaching this message. There's things in my life I'm not proud of. There's things in my life that I still do that I wish I wouldn't do. And I just felt like Jesus spoke to me so clearly. There's times in our lives where I, I'm not going to lie and say that every moment I walk to the door and I say, I heard this from God. I'm not saying this like, hey, Derek, this is God. But every once in a while, I feel like God is talking to me so clearly. It's like he's kind of hitting me in the head and reminding me. He, I just felt it so clear when he says that I am not looking for perfection. I'm looking for progress. I am not looking for people to be perfect, but I am looking for them to continue progressing. And as Christians, we need to stop looking at people and wondering why they are not perfect yet. We need to stop looking at the world and being shocked that they're the world. That's one thing, I'll be honest, as a Christian, I don't understand sometimes why we are so surprised with what the world is doing. I haven't had a crazy past in my life, some of you may have, but just some self-reflection, what would you be doing if you never found Jesus? Where would you be at on a Friday night if you never met Jesus? Where would you be on Saturday if you never met Jesus? But the reason you're not there anymore is because you met him. And the reason you met him is because someone led you to him. And the reason someone led you to him is because they allowed God's grace to lead them and not their own judgment of what you were doing wrong. God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for progress. Last night as I was doing my final, just kind of sitting at my desk in my office, and um, Aiden had a classic meltdown yesterday, like it's one for the books. Just not fun. Got very upset, and just was not a fun day. And as I was sitting at my office, just kind of sitting there, and he's like, Daddy, can I have a, can I have a piece of paper? Can I have a piece of paper? And he got like a better mess, like, yeah, here's a piece of paper. And 
He just wrote down there, Dear Daddy, I'm going to have fun with you on the boat. Love your son. Because he knows we're going on a cruise in April, and he's excited about it. But I was like, that's awesome, buddy. Thank you. I love you. And he walked off. Then I opened the little drawer on my desk to get a highlighter out to highlight a scripture in my Bible. And I, I have a post-it that I used to mark my Bible today so I wouldn't forget. But we tell him all the time, we learn from what we did wrong this time. You need to learn to control your anger, buddy. You need to learn to harness it better. For those of you that don't know, he, my son has autism, so he's not real good at processing anger sometimes, and we're working through it. And, and I love when he brings up stuff he's learning in Champions Club, and he'll say, Daddy, uh, God will help me with my anger. God will help me with my anger. Even though he's still yelling, God will help me with my anger. But he, he put this post-it next to me. I never even read it yesterday. He just said, hey, Daddy. He sat it there, and I walked off, and I, I didn't think anything of it. But then when I go to the office, there's another one. And it just simply says, I tried. And I asked Lisa about it. I said, hey, what, what is this? And she said, that's his new thing. When he does stuff he knows he's not supposed to do, he brings me a post-it and he writes, I tried on it to let me know that he's trying to stop doing what he's doing. Can we love people long enough to let them keep trying? Can we be a people receptive enough to know that people are going to fall down around us sometimes? And we can either kick them while they're down, or we can help pick them back up and say, no, this is the time. We're not giving up on you. Jesus didn't give up on you, on us. We're not giving up on you. I don't care how many accusers you have around you. We're not giving up on you. I don't care how many people have come out against you. We are not giving up on you. We're not going, we can't accept the things that you're doing is wrong, but we also can't give up on you because Jesus won't allow us to do that. I read this, um, I'll close with this, but I saw this on Facebook a couple days ago, and this person didn't know what I was preaching on this week, but as soon as I saw it, I knew I was going to read it. But it says, to love the unlovable, unlovable and reach the unreachable, we must be willing to go past the do not enter signs they have displayed themselves. We will often discover that they were really never unlovable. They labeled themselves that to keep themselves safe. But just as Christ loved us enough to pursue us, we must pursue these people. We love because he first loved us. Could we just make that our goal in life? That even when we don't feel like it, we're going to love them because he first loved us. We're not going to make it about our anger. We're not going to make it about our resentment. We're going to say, Jesus, we're going to keep loving them because they first, because you first loved us. As I was, someone asked me the other day what I was preaching on. I said, oh, I'm going to preach on the woman caught in the act of adultery. And then the red letter question is, you know, why do you look at the speck in your neighbor's eye? You got a plank in your own eye and Someone else asked me, I said, oh, I'm preaching on the woman caught in the act of adultery. And as I got my truck to drive home that day, I felt like Jesus told me, that's not the woman caught in the act of adultery in my eyes. That's the woman that I set free. I don't label her anymore. She might be labeled in this book, but that's not the woman caught in the act. You're not gonna get to heaven and say, oh, there's the woman caught in the act of adultery. We're not going to get to heaven and say, oh, there's the person that was the alcoholic. 
There's the person that was the drug addict. There's the person that had the affair. There's the person that cheated on, on their tax. We're not gonna get to heaven and have these labels. We're gonna get to heaven and say that all of these people are the people that Jesus set free. All of these people are the people that accepted Jesus, lived for him, loved others, pursued him, and now we're gonna spend an eternity with him. So my last challenge today is let's quit labeling people. Let's quit saying, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, that, that, that's David, you know, he's the one that. Because someone could say, that, that's Derek, he's the one that, 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 that. But Jesus says, that's Derek, that's my son. I've forgiven him of everything he's ever done wrong. And now in spite of his failures, my grace is allowing him to do things that he didn't think were possible. So let's quit labeling people and let's start loving people. If everybody will bow their heads and close their eyes. First question I wanna to ask today is maybe you're in this room and you feel like you're the accused. You feel like you're the person that everybody's made a case against. You're the person that everybody seems to have a reason on why, on why you, you, you can't do what you're supposed to do. But I just wanna encourage you before I even ask the question today, is if that is you, Jesus is not viewing you in that manner. Jesus is viewing you as the one that today, on March the 12th, 2017, that he can set free, that he can start a journey with, that he can start walking with day in and day out, and he can start walking you through the process of what your sanctification is gonna look like, and he can set your journey, he can set you on a new journey today if you will just accept him and say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my past, come into my heart and set me free, and from this day forward, I'm gonna do everything I can to live for you, but if that's you today, and you just say, I'm in the role of the accused, and I don't wanna be there any longer, I don't care what the accusers are saying, I now know what my Savior is saying about me, but if that's you, would just lift your hand and say, I need to accept Jesus, in this place today, I see that hand. Anybody else, I need to accept, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If everybody will repeat this after me, dear Heavenly Father, today I stand in the role of the accused, but I am thankful that your grace is bigger than your judgment. I ask you right now to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life and take control. From this day forward, I will live for you and you alone. And now with no one looking around, if you just say, you know what, today, if I'm honest, I've actually been in the role of the accuser. I have a problem only seeing what everybody else is doing wrong and never allowing God to say, God, inspect my life. Help me examine my own heart and let me stop worrying about everybody else. But if that's you today, in the, in the same grace that Jesus is not condemning anybody, he's not condemning you because when you make a declaration that from this day forward, I don't wanna be the accuser, I wanna be the one that can love on people in spite of what they are doing. 
But if that's you today, just as a sign of saying, God, from this day forward, I want to lead people to you. I don't want to lead people away from you. We'll just lift your hand wherever you're at. I'm just going to pray for you where you're at, and then we'll close. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I come to you right now. I pray for those that lifted their hands, God. God, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what situations they've walked in. But God, right now, I just pray that your grace would just cover them, God, that it would just envelop them in the same grace that they feel in this moment. God, it will be the same grace that they're able to extend to others. God, I pray over us as a church. I pray over us as a group of believers. God, don't let us ever become guilty of being the accuser. God, I pray that you would send the lost and the hurting and the broken, the isolated, the forgotten. God, I pray that you would send them in because you trust this body enough to know that we're gonna love them back to life. God, I pray for people that are around us right now in this moment that have been searching and searching and searching for something and they don't even know what it is that God, we would be a group of believers to, to introduce them to you, God, to introduce them to your love. God, I just pray that you would challenge all of us, God, to love on people. And we thank you for it, God, in your name I pray, amen.